Welcome to Trinity Radio. Thanksgiving is over, and now it's time to focus on other things. Like what I'm focusing on right now in Australia. Evangelism. Reaching others for the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be thankful that someone was thinking that way before you, or else you would have never come to know him. I'm Braxton Hunter, and this is... Trinity Radio, but I'm Jonathan Pritchett. And today, we're talking about how to present a cumulative case apologetic approach. So it's here's not heresy, it's... Come on, no, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I, I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. Normal apologetics, when you, you said cumulative case, mm-hmm. right? This is what I think of as normal apologetics. Okay. Let me explain why. Cumulative case apologetics is a method in which you take random things about the world. Well, not random. That's the wrong word. But you could. But random things about the world or mutually understood things about the world mm-hmm. that everyone agrees on. Mm-hmm. There's a world, for example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> you know, that's one thing. Yeah, you exist in it. I exist in it. Uh, we fall in love. We seem to make choices. Uh, people seem to have religious experiences. People seem to think there's things that are beautiful and not. Um, things like that. There's just facts about the world that people generally agree on. And you start drawing upon these things and you give an account from your worldview that best explains all of this, and you may talk to other people and see what they think best explains all of this different kind of phenomenon, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason why I call that normal apologetics is because normal people can do this very well if they understand the world that they live in. You know, just if you're... Why do... uh, Why does uh, pollinization with plants and bees and flowers and... Why does all that work the way it works, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, just anything about the world and give an explanation for it. Yeah. And see what other people's explanation for it. And <clears throat> it's, it's, it's perfectly reasonable uh, and normal, I think, for you to have a conversation about the weather, right? Yeah. So you can have a conversation about love. You can have a conversation about religious experience. You can have a conversation about work. Or you could be coming out of... I always use this as an example, although it's a little dated now. Um, You remember that film, The Adjustment Bureau? Yeah. It had all to do with free will and were you controlled and all these kind of things. And and, and you could have come out of that film and you'd be set up for a conversation with someone about... Hey, do you do you believe free will is a real thing, or do you think that uh, everything is just kind of determined? 
to happen the way it is. And that sets you up to talk about um, that and whose worldview accounts for free will the best. So, yeah. those, so th- those are kind of anything, like you said, anything. I think you could have said random. You could select randomly things yeah. to talk about. Because anything you talk, I think it was G.K. Chesterton said this, but something, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like this. Anything you talk about, whether it's pigs or rocks or auto mechanics, for long enough, you'll get back to God. Yes. And um, that's kind uh, of the idea that cumulative case is you'll based upon. You'll get back upon. to even Jesus. You can make a signpost to Jesus from anything, I think. Okay. Uh, not just God, but Jesus as well. Now, the, the, to, how does cumulative case apologetics, before we do it, how does it how, how is it different than other forms of apologetics? Well, um, when I'm presenting at a conference, usually I'll present in my breakout sessions two different ways to use apologetics for evangelism because we're interested in evangelistic apologetics. This is not just for your own mental amusement. This is to reach people with the message of the gospel. Well, we're interested in two things, evangelistic apologetics and discipleship apologetics. Yeah, that's right. That's my DN project. But Right, but what we do like is for Christians to share their faith. Yeah. And we do like for people to uh, get saved. And as Mark Middleberg says... Uh, evangelism in the 21st century is spelled apologetics. Right, and he's right. <laughs> Partly, yeah. I mean, it's not ne- it's it's not necessarily always the case, but it's very helpful. So and everybody is so mad that Braxton Hunter wrote the book that they can't write the book now. Yeah, because he popularized it. Because you know what? Well, thank you. In addition to being an apologist with a PhD, ooh, he's also a loudmouth, leather-lunged preacher. Yeah. Evangelist. Yeah, working on a D-man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but when I'm presenting, I present two ways to do evangelistic apologetics. The first, when you're in the field of evangelism, uh, so if you go to school and you, you take an evangelism class in seminary, um, what, what you'll learn is there are two different ways. Uh, I think it's Alvin Reed that popularized this, but there are two ways to, to do it. There is a single encounter apologetics. That's where I'm sitting on a bus stop and I've got a friend next to me that I've just met. He's not a friend. I've just met him and don't know him. And I've got one conversation or maybe we're on a bus together. We've got one conversation. Um, and, and so I want to try to reach him right then as best I can, which is already very difficult when you include apologetics in that, but that's called single encounter apologetics. Then you have multiple. Wait a minute. You're telling people they should actually talk to strangers about (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, it goes. That's for a me, thing. It should go without saying, and if it doesn't, that's a problem. It actually, in our culture, I, I think that a lot of people don't think to actually talk to strangers about Jesus. I think I think they can talk to their family and their friends. Actually, I think you have better, uh, more fruitful conversations with complete strangers and with family. But I you should think, do both. But yeah, right. I agree. But I don't think people naturally think of yeah. I'm standing in the supermarket. I'm going to stare at my iPhone instead of talk to the person in front of me about Jesus. Yeah, one of the things that I say when I preach on this issue is, and I want to get back to multiple encounter versus single encounter, but one of the things I say that you're kind of saying now is that um, when, when the world is more interested in reaching people with what they've got than we are with what we've got. So yeah. take so take Pepsi, for example. That's a good line. Yeah, they are. But if you take Pepsi, for example, um, Pepsi, when they got their new product of Pepsi, that to my taste buds feels like they ripped off Coke and added more sugar to, um, and, and let's just imagine that Pepsi, after they did all of their test groups and all of their focus groups, they determined that only Australian people were going to be interested in Pepsi Cola. 
Now, this is not what happened, but let's just imagine. And so they're only going to allow it to be bottled in Australia. They're only going to use Australians in their advertising. They're only going to sell it in Australia. Would Pepsi be the multi-billion dollar household name that it is today? Obviously not. Nope. What did they do? They took that first shot of Pepsi that they ripped off Coke and added more sugar to, and they said, everybody needs a Pepsi. You can't be the wrong color for a Pepsi. You can't live on the wrong continent for a Pepsi. You can't speak the wrong language for a Pepsi. Everybody needs a Pepsi. In other words, the whole world is their prospect. Not all kinds of people, like the whole world, every individual that is their prospect. That wasn't a subtle dig, was it? <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so uh, but we're not that way. As you just elucidated, Dr. Pritchett, we are interested in reaching uh, one kind of person with the gospel, if we're interested at all. Most Christians that are interested at all in reaching people are interested in one kind of person. So which kind of person is that? Humans. Well, it's different for uh, different people. Some of us are only willing to witness to someone if they're the same color as us. Some of us are only willing to witness to someone if they're not the same color as us because we're on a mission trip on the other side of the planet. Some of us are only willing to witness to someone if they're inside our family like our own sons or daughters. Some of us are only willing to witness to someone if they're outside of our family because we don't want to offend someone that's inside of our family. But when you get down to the where the rubber meets the road, one thing is the same for all of us. We're willing to, we're all, it's the same person in this sense. We're all willing to witness to the kind of person that it's comfortable for us to witness to and it almost never is. And as a result, we almost never do it, mm. which is a big, big problem. So you've just got to, as a Christian, live with the fact that you're not being fed to lions, so it's okay to have an awkward conversation as your sacrifice for the Christian faith occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, <Yeah. right? laughs> Okay, wow. so... An aw- <laughs> That really puts the whole thing in for, Good job, man. Well, that really put you're not being eaten by lions, so your sacrifices have an awkward conversation. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and how spoiled are we? Yeah. You know? I was reading the martyrdom of Polycarp, and wow, that moved me to my soul. Oh yeah. What what an amazing account. Yeah. And you know, and to think about all of the descriptions that were pretty vivid of what martyrs were suffering before it got to his martyrdom. Mm-hmm. It's so and then there are people on the other side of the world, who are being uh, have executed and their heads chopped off for their faith. Mm-hmm. And we think it's too high a price to have an awkward conversation. Right. That is, that should smack you if it doesn't. Right. So You should go out and find someone to have an awkward conversation <laughs> yes. with right now. We live for awkward conversations. They won't chop your head um, off. So, okay. Not here in America. So, multiple encounter evangelism versus single encounter. Multiple encounter is when um, you're going to see this person regularly for a while. And so, you maybe work in the same office, you get together to watch a sporting event, uh, whatever. And so, whenever you're with them, you have more opportunity now to hit them with some more stuff. Now, as a loudmouth, leather-lunged, red-faced preacher... I forgot the red face. <laughs> you should have corrected I do. I do find myself wanting to be the guy that kicks the door in on the burning building and runs in and grabs someone screaming and crying out of the building. You need to get saved today because you're not promised the next breath in your lungs. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. You know, all that stuff. However... For some people, the worldview is a little more dug in than that, and though the gospel can accomplish that in one meeting, sometimes with apologetics, it takes a little longer. So you've got multiple encounter and single encounter. My theory is, or my approach is, that this cumulative case, I don't call it that when I'm doing a breakout, I call it a conversational approach. That, you call it a normal approach, I like that. Um, That's good for single encounter, It would also be good for multiple encounter, but I use it for single encounter. And then for multiple encounter apologetics, 
I, I think that a classical approach is good because you have more time over weeks or, or you, months. Or to, you can weave that into your overall. You can yeah. use that, yeah, in both. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the differentiation, if it hasn't sunk in. Classical, a classical apologetics approach, a la J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig, people like that, Norman Geisler, Frank Turek. The, what, what, what's going on there is it is a cumulative case in the sense that they're not going to use just one argument. They're going to use several lines of reasoning to get you to understand that this is reasonable to accept. However, the diff, and that's what's going on with the cumulative case. The difference is that in a classical approach, each individual argument usually is a standalone that you're willing to defend to the hilt. In other words, when Craig brings the Kalam cosmological argument, he's saying, you're not going to defeat this argument. I'm, and, and, if, and no matter what you bring up, you don't have another better explanation than this. With cumulative case, what we're willing to say is we may not defend each piece to the hilt. We just say, like some of those things that you threw out a while ago, you could throw in the rapid expansion of the early church, uh, the, the, the existence of the New Testament today, the, uh, the fact that everyone from uh, philosophers to beggars on the street uh, believe. Um, you know, the, 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 These are all facts that need to be accounted for. Now, we're not saying those are arguments that we're going to defend. We're just throwing out pieces of data just little data points that we think makes better sense on a Christian worldview than it does on any other worldview. So we're not, and, and they're going to have an explanation. The skeptic will have an explanation yeah. of their own, but it's just not, we're, then we do worldview analysis and say, yeah, what did I say? You said skeptic. Oh, let me say that. Skeptic can mean one of several things. Yeah. Some people, when they say skeptic, they mean agnostic. Some people, mean when they say skeptic, they mean atheist. Some people, when they say skeptic, they mean any one who is skeptical of the Christian faith. Right. That's how I'm using it here, just because you got to say something. Yeah, you can say unbeliever. Okay, so so good good point to make. And then what you do is, since they've got an explanation and you've got an explanation, you do worldview analysis and you use what is called abductive reasoning to do... Inf- abductive reasoning is inference to the best explanation. So between these two worldview explanations for a piece of data, or for all the data, what is most plausible? What makes the best sense? What's most likely to be true? Now you can, now when we talk about these different methods, classical, cumulative case, or whatever you want to call it, there's a five book views book out there. You know, Uh, you and I are more of, let's take the best from various, I don't have it on my shelf, but it's not that great of a book. Um, I love it. I think it's a great book. Well, I mean, it's a great it's a, it's a necessary book. Yes, I, I think it. I think a newer one could be. I don't think that uh, various things about it were. Anyway, a newer it, book would be too provocative, because now there is more obvious of a debate that is more red meaty between uh, classicalist, evidential, evidentialist in general, and presuppositionalists. Yeah, because I was going to say, I'm, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to presuppositionalism than you are. Mm-hmm. I'm not very sympathetic to most practicing presuppositionalists, because uh, you've heard me rant about them. Most of them are annoying. Um, but you can weave in, presuppositional apologetics helps in this, in this sense. You can, if you can show where somebody else's account is actually borrowing from your, your, your line of credit, so to speak, that's helpful. And that's where presuppositionalism can be helpful in this sort of cumulative case apologetics. 
Um, the difference is, like he said, you're not trying to defend to a hilt, so you don't have to be a jerk like presuppositionalists. Okay, wait, 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 wait. And you don't have you don't have to try to win every point, but at some point, there's what Dr. Kevin Lewis calls juridical uh, apologetics, is similar to cumulative case, where you make the standard the preponderance of evidence, right? And after you have all of these different things, you say, okay. where is the preponderance of evidence? Is it your worldview and mine? And presuppositionalism can help you show where they're actually more They're borrowing in line. capital from you. They're borrowing worldview. capital from you, and but you don't we're, do on, it we're in gonna, a way that most We're going to lose people. We're going to yeah. lose people. I, I just get this spidey sense when, yeah. we're, when we're doing this. Okay, so... Let, the hair on the top what, of your head stands right, up, right? Right. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly like lay out the the different views real quickly. There are five general views that we usually talk about. Classical apologetics, which is what I pretty well consider myself to be a classical apologist. Natural theology. Classical apologetics shows number one that God exists. Usually, then number two that Jesus is divine or that Jesus rose from the dead. Usually, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, so it's a two-step method. And I want you to maybe, after I explain these five, pause it and go back and listen again if you're not familiar. Classical approach, number one, God exists. You show arguments for that. Number two, uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. And classical arguments are typically arguments from uh, nature in some sense or another. Yeah, yeah, philosophy. Nature, philosophy, and nature. Well, um, the Kalam is nature, natural world. It's arguing for yeah. the beginning of it. Yeah. Now it has philosophical defenses. But then you got like a moral argument. That's yeah, not exactly, but that's transcendental. Yeah. Though. But anyway, let, let's keep it simple. <laughs> so then, evidential apologetics. Now this is a little tricky because sometimes people just refer to anything that's not presuppositional, which I'm going to explain down here in a minute, as evidential. So that they call classical evidential. But specifically, when we say evidential apologetics, when we're talking about the five views, evidential apologetics is the same thing as classical, except where I said this was a two-step method, and here is God's existence, and then here's the resurrection. Break this piece off and throw it away. <laughs> the, the, that's all the difference is. So, so with classical apologetics, like I said, you got J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig, Norman Geisler, people like that, Frank Turek. With evidential apologetics, you got people like Gary Habermas, Michael Icona, people like that, okay? They're just showing that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, then number three is you've got cumulative case, and I've kind of already described that. You're throwing out a lot of different little pieces of data, and then you're showing how those, um, the best explanation, you're doing worldview analysis with someone, show that the best explanation for all this, this data... we would put Don Johnson, older uh, would be um, uh, Josh McDowell... Douglas Grothaus? Yeah. Is is Sean McDowell, would you consider him? I, I don't know. I think Ravi Zacharias would be. I think C.S. Lewis would be. Yeah. I think these are evidential or, uh, cumulative case apologists. Okay. And, and we're going to go into more detail about it because it's the thing we're talking about today. Then you got presuppositional apologetics. Presuppositional apologetics um, says, okay, everybody has presuppositions that they bring to the table when they're going to discuss or investigate or talk about worldview issues. The presuppositionalist, so where everybody else, well, everybody that I've discussed prior starts with, here's where we and the skeptic agree down here, evidentially. We agree on these facts about the way the world is, and so we reason up to God's existence. The presuppositionalists start up here, and they presuppose the God of the Bible yeah. as the one true God. And you can't get anywhere else without it. 
Yeah, and, and then so they want to point out... every worldview requires God to exist to even exist, and that means they're false. Yeah, so for example, yeah. you atheists, for example, you atheists try to, try to reason that God does not exist, and they say you can't even have those reasoning capacities if God does not exist as the explanation for right. how you're able to reason. Right. So Cornelius Van Til said it was like it's like a little the atheist is like a little girl sitting in her daddy's lap to be able to slap his face. If the lap wasn't there, you wouldn't be able to get up to slap his face, right? So right. so anyway, that's I know that some of these are weighty concepts and you can research them further on your own, but there's a big debate that the, the evidentialists don't care nearly as much about as the presuppositionalists uh, about these methodologies. Right. And then there's another one called Reformed Epistemology, and I've explained that in previous videos, but frankly, this is enough for now. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, okay Reformed Epistemology just wants to point out that you can have reasonable, a, a reasonable justified for, warrant to believe right. something without external evidence. Okay, so or that, argument or arguments. Yeah, that it, that, that, that it, you're just fine believing it. Yeah, you it's, you it's have okay. something in you similar There's, to Calvin's. Calvin thought there may be a sensus divinitatis, a sense of the divine in the mind of a man that certain it's stronger in certain people than others, but they have this awareness of God that's natural. And so Reformed epistemologists kind of grab onto that. And they're like, yeah, that probably is um, this innate sense that God exists, and that's that's enough yeah, for you to believe. Yeah, and they think that apologetics, everything else is dumb or a waste of time. Well, they're not... <laughs> Yeah, as they, harsh about it as presuppositionalists are. There was a book that that you had. I mean, we're t Alvin Plantinga has does has done a lot of work in theistic arguments, and right. he's the flag bearer for reformed. But that's the thing: you get a flag bearer, and then people take it to the tenth degree yeah, and and true. go crazy with it. That's true. So it becomes a weird, you know, Frankenstein. So, but to go over it again, classical apologetics, two step approach: God exists. God raised Jesus from the dead. Evidentialist, one-step approach, God raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection evidence. Cumulative case, bunch of facts and data about the world, and we reason that the best worldview that makes sense of that is Christianity. Yeah. Presuppositionalism, we you presume... You need God for everything else, so believe in God because you do anyway. That's presuppositionalism. Right, and reform epistemology is, you're good. Okay. All right. So, so not not that that's what you're saying to an unbeliever, but to the believer yeah, who good. doesn't have yeah. external reasons to. And, believe. and this is yeah. dangerous because it, it gives church folk. Oh, good. We don't have to deal with this. Right. So, actually, in my book, Evangelistic Apologetics, I argue that it could be helpful in talking with people in hospice care or nursing home or people don't have a lot of education. They're at the end of their life. You don't expect that we're going to be able to do a lot of rigorous philosophical work in such yeah. a case. And so if there's something in them that seems to indicate to them, I, I want to believe, I just, I can't, I don't have... Yes, Braxton Hunter, yeah. finding the good in everything. Okay, so, all right. Yeah, like a true apologist, you... you you're even you you even say at least one thing nice about presupposition, and I know you don't like it. As oh, much. I held back a, a well, torrent I, of things I wanted to say. Yes, but there are some valid uses of it. Sure, your problem is my problem. If you're not Greg Bonson, don't do it. Okay, because you're terrible, and nobody so, cares. So and you always lose. Or Dylan Simmons. Trinity graduate who uses it. But no, he's like me. He incorporates it in with his other stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. To win it, but he's not a jerk. Right. And some presuppers, presuppers do that. They use arguments and reason and stuff. And I mean, most of them use the tag argument. So, but anyway, um, all right. So let's, so now let's back off and let's say cumulative case. We've explained everything, pull it all aside, bring cumulative case into view. Cumulative case then can be thought of this way. 
So if classical apologetics with its big arguments and all that fancy stuff is like giving you big, beautiful portraits, okay, that are complete pictures and saying, look at these beautiful portraits. All right, what, cla- what cumulative case is, is like a mosaic. Uh, you know what a mosaic is? It's like all these little tiles and each individual one doesn't necessarily give you a pic- the full picture. But when you put like 200 of them together and fit them all together, you get like, Jesus, a picture of Jesus right. or something. Okay, um, and and so that so there you've got that's one the of the difference. best mosaics I've ever seen was uh, the Star Wars poster or an image of all the characters from Star Wars that was made from stills from the Star Wars movies. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So that's that. Or you could think of a tapestry. A tapestry yeah. is a picture made out of thread and stuff, a big rug or or whatever, and uh, each individual thread is like a data point, a piece of data, a fact that we're going to talk about. Yeah, it does look messy on one side, but if you turn it around, right. it's very yeah. beautiful. But, but all the threads together make up the picture. So, so, let's, so the point is, any one of these things may or may not really stand on its own. Okay, That's, that's the difference between classical and cumulative case. All right, so I'm going to show you how to... Use, so some of the facts we've already discussed. Free will, why, are, why do we consider things beautiful... Um, you know, it seems like there's an objective standard for beauty or something. Mm-hmm. Um, morality, there's some overlap here. Morality, um, migratory patterns of butterflies, pollination. These are all just facts about the world that make more sense. But like I said, even the rapid expansion of the early church, that seems like maybe they saw something like a resurrection, you know, things like this. All these things go together. Nature of free will. All right. Now, here's, here's the method now. What I'm going to do now is give you a method for having a discussion with a skeptic, an unbeliever of whatever worldview, but since and, we can't talk yeah. about all worldviews in this podcast, we're just going to use atheism. Okay. Boo. <laughs> so, so the, the least likely person that you're going to meet is an atheist, unless you're on the internet, which you should do this off the internet and have an awkward conversation. Yeah. It's not awkward on the internet because you, everyone's, you know. Okay. So, so here's so here we go. So the first thing you want to do. And again, you can do this with any worldview. So just notice as we walk through it how that would be or how that would look. Okay, so step number one is you in, you're in conversation. You just you're just having a you know, you're on campus. You just came out of a class or you're gone to a movie or you're at a restaurant or whatever, and you say to the person something like, "What? Hey, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this. I want to understand your worldview. So wh- how do you an- an- how do you answer the big questions of life?" Okay, now that's what you want to ask them. Here's what's great about this. First of all, you're going to let them do most of the talking because most of these people who are not Christians have been listening to a bunch of preachers preach at them all the time and Christian friends preach at them all the time and they've been waiting for someone to shut up and let them say something and you're going to give them that opportunity and you're really going to listen. So you want to ask them, how do you answer the major questions of life? Now, there's actually a reason for this. Because you say, well, you already told us they're an atheist. Okay, and they may have told you, well, I'm an atheist. But the thing is, these labels can mess things up because there's a bunch of different kinds of Muslims. There's a bunch of different kinds of Mormons. There's a bunch of different kinds of atheists. There are naturalistic atheists. There are non-naturalistic atheists. There are people that believe in like Buddhist kind of spiritual stuff that call themselves Buddhist, but they're atheists. These labels can be confusing. 
So what we want to do is we want to find out specifically. And the way you do that is don't ask them for a label. Ask them how they answer the big questions of life. Because what you're going to notice in steps one and two is we, we want to prevent talking past each other. You know what talking past each other is when you're, you're responding to a worldview that they actually don't hold and they're doing the same thing to you. No, we want to, we want to impact. So, so that's what we want to do. And you want to actually at least pretend to be interested in what they say. It, well, now, now that's interesting that you, you say that. But you should be. Yeah. Because... You really should be. You should invest in people, but at least pretend to be. In when I do this as a breakout session... Don't be like Braxton when I'm talking and he sits there and looks off camera like this. I don't do that for the first 20 minutes of what you say. <laughs> but when I haven't gotten to talk in a while, I start getting bored. It's Okay. Besides, you've been looking that way for part of this podcast. No, I have not. Okay, all right, here we go. So, so when you don't, when, whenever I do this as a breakout session, this is what it looks like. All right. So, whenever I do this as a breakout session, I always point out that you should. I spend the first fifteen minutes of the discussion talking about evangelism. <sighs> And how you should be using good evangelism techniques. And one of those evangelism techniques is You're you still should going. be interested in what they have to say. And you be and, and in order to be you can't fake that. You know, and whatever they so I had someone say in Austin, they raised their hand and they said, So are we supposed to fake it? And everyone else in the <laughs> place looked at them like in shock because what the guy didn't realize was he kind of let out that he doesn't care. And I'm like, no, you should care. Like you should if you don't care about people, if you're not interested in what they under what they believe so that you can help them with that, then don't do this. Right? You shouldn't be doing that. You're doing this because you love people. Um, all right. Uh, unless you think it's all gonna be sorted out one way or the other and you're just going through the motions. Anyway, so another subtle dig. <laughs> so see, that's how you gotta do it. You gotta put it in there in a way. That unless it's pointed out. No. Our Calvinist friends love to evangelize at, at, a, um, uh, at, a, at a level with people because they want to see if they are the means by which God uses for that particular elect person to come right. realize That's it. That's true. So, Look at you, taking up for the Calvinists. Yes. And they're very evangelistic. I'm taking up for Calvinists because I never do. <laughs> so, okay. so I need to put some in the other column for a while. You yeah. Know? yeah. But it's good that you make the digs for me because I'm yeah. like secretly I'm just teeing you up. Because yeah. Because yeah. you wanted to say all that, but yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So so here's the deal. So step one is you ask them how they answer the major questions of life. Now, the, so let's take the atheist as an example. What he's going to say, you know, and again, they could say a lot of things, but one thing that they might say. Uh, here's the here's the big questions. Number one, you want to ask them, how did we get here? Like human beings, how do we get here? Number two, what's the purpose or meaning of life if there is one? And number three, what happens when we die? So well, how are they going to respond to these things? Well, an atheist might say, well, uh, how do we get here? Well, I don't know. The universe began to exist somehow and matter coalesced into stars and then, uh, you know, galaxies formed, abiogenesis occurred, first life, uh, more complex organisms, and here we ha and here I am today. So theology geeks, protology, teleology, and eschatology, those are the three categories you talk yeah. to people. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's how they're going to answer point one. Uh, premise, or the second, it's not premise, the second uh, question 
what's the purpose of life if there is one? Yeah. You, you, you know, a consistent skeptic atheist might say something like a Sartian kind of answer, like, well, there isn't really a point like metaphysically a point, but you just kind of make up for yourself whatever purpose you want to have. And then what happens when you die? Well, you just die and that's it. Okay, that's that's life. And then that you, your nutrients go into the ground after your body decomposes and a tree grows from that. And then a Christian cuts you down and prints the Bible on your behind. That's what happens there. No, that, that's, but anyway, the, the, the point is, how do we get here? Uh, how do we get here? Evolution. What, what's the purpose of life? There's not one. What happens when we die? You die. That's an atheist answer. Kind of bleak, but that's the answer. All right. Um, so then you listen and you say, oh, and then we attack. No weirdo. You don't attack. <laughs> you, you might ask some clarifying questions to make sure you understand what they've said. But at this point, you're just letting them talk. And yeah. you're really showing them that you want to understand what they're saying. You are pretending very well to care. That's not the right way to do this. <laughs> you're not pretending. You're trying to understand. Yeah. Um, and then so, then, then, so then after you think you understand, you, you, you get it, what they're basically saying. That's kind of, that brings you to step number two. Step number two is where you say... That's stupid. No, that is not what you do. <laughs> that is not what you do. Step number two is where you say, would you mind now explaining to me what you understand the Christian message to be. Now, you may hear them say, well, there's over a thousand different brands of Christianity and all these kind of things. And and, and, and you, you might agree. So, yeah, yeah, but there's, you know, there's Orthodox Christianity. I just want to know basically what you understand the Christian message to be. Now, why would you ask them to explain to you Christianity? To make sure they actually understand what they reject. That's right. And almost always they don't. Right. Because what you're going to end up saying after they explain to you what they think Christianity is, you're going to say, yeah, I don't believe that either. Right. So Because gonna... you won't. Because what they'll, what they'll say is, well, God created a bunch of people to make him happy, to give him a bunch of glory so that uh, even though that they all sinned or whatever, if you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. And get 72 virgins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, yeah. but they'll say, but, 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 but God wanted a bunch of slaves, so he created yeah. a bunch of people, uh, and he wants them to, to worship him no matter how much evil he causes in the world. And then, and then, you know, he sent Jesus to, you know, he killed his own son out of cosmic child abuse. And, right. it's, you know, he raised zombie Jesus from the dead. And if you just, if you're good enough and you believe in this stuff, then you get to go to heaven while decent people go to hell. Decent people who think it's okay, you know. To think and to, reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be free thinkers. <laughs> uh, and decent people who don't, who, who don't. But. Interfere with but, my sex life. But, they have to go to hell because they don't believe okay. in your God who doesn't like premarital sex. But that's exactly what you'll hear. You, you, we do actually have some atheist listeners, and they may be thinking right now, and they would be right that I don't. That say is it, a then. category of that is a kind of person. That's mostly your internet atheist types. Yes. But there is a category of atheist who will who will actually try to try to answer that question. I mean, most of them in America, especially in the American South, were in evangelical families at some point, right? Yes, so, Dr. John Mark Reynolds likes to say that most atheist free-thinking chapters were started by sons of Southern Baptist preachers. Because they knew how to start a small group, right? <laughs> but, but, the thing is, um, yeah. but the thing is, some of them will get, get it right. Some of them are trying, are genuinely trying to give you what you're asking for and what they think you believe, 
but they will get something like the works-based salvation part wrong. Like they'll they'll say you do enough good works and it'll merit you salvation. Right? Well, most like of them that. will get the you believe in Jesus part, but you have to do all of this other stuff too. Yeah, but the yeah. point is, whatever they get wrong, you you if they get something wrong, you you do do something here. You've let them talk for two whole sections now. Now at this point, you if they got something wrong, you say you know what you're absolutely right. There is a Christianity, something called Christianity that is like that. But I reject that too, like he said. I reject that along with you um, because that's not the Christianity I hold to. <coughs> so now we're not talking past each other anymore. And, and if you need to, you explain to them what, where, what you understand the Christian message to be or clarify. Now, now, this is where it helps for you to actually know what it is yourself. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, so. Now, in a rare moment when the moons align, the planets align, occasionally, it's happened to me once, You'll have someone once they properly understand the Christian message. That's all it takes. They're in. Like they'll 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 that there won't be any more need to discuss. Like they just they're oh wow well I amen I, I didn't understand that yeah, that makes more sense. And just Talk, as I am, tell me more about that. In the middle yeah, of, uh, just as I am without it, one plea. It comes plays. out of your phone. Yeah. <laughs> And you have an altar call. No, honestly, sometimes that's all it takes and someone comes to Christ. Right. Or at least wants to talk, doesn't want to talk about the same just stuff. Because, and, and, and you know what? It has just as much to do with what you said as it does the fact that you were willing to have the awkward conversation and listen yeah. to them and not fake it. Yeah. So, that, oh, you're a Christian and you don't want this to happen to me. Right, yeah. Some of, sometimes that goes a long way, too. Yeah. And notice that this is no, you're just talking to people. This is not, we can call it cumulative case or normative or conversational apologetics, but really you're talking to people because you love them. That's all it is. Yep. And you're sharing the gospel after you let them tell you what they think it is. Yep. Amen. Now, my question is, though. Now, that's only steps one and two. There's more, but go ahead. But what happens? What's what's next if you get the person who gets every the Southern Baptist, the former Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. who gets everything about Christianity right? Then you say that great. Then you understand Christianity, and now I understand your worldview because that's that's not you're not trying to trap them. You want them to get to that point, and if they're already there, that just made your job easier. It didn't make it harder; it made it easier. Yeah, but because we now, this. because now, yeah, because now we're 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 not talking past each other. Okay, um, and which means you can remind them when they stray from that and try to issue in a yeah. straw man. That, no, as you you already say, you right. know better than you, you know. knew that's not what Christianity holds. No, right. Okay, so so okay, so that's so that's that. Now, if they don't get saved all of a sudden, <laughs> which again that is really rare. Okay, that's the black swan out there that <laughs> rarely ever gets yeah. seen. Okay, now then we move on to step three. Step three. And remember, you're not going to say to them, okay, now step one. Yeah, you're, this is all co- happening like a This is like just the way the conversation progresses. Right. So then S- step number three is... Or phase three. You so say, okay. not a step. Phase three is you say to them now, okay, now this is where you're, you may get a little confused with me explaining this, and they may get a little confused with you asking for this. But what you want to do is you want to say, what are some things that you and I both believe are true, both of us believe are true about the way the world is, that you think your worldview makes sense of that my worldview doesn't make sense of, okay? Now think about what I'm asking. 
I'm asking for facts, data about the way our world is that their naturalistic worldview, they think that makes sense of that. And Christianity Rem- doesn't remember the, the conversation is centered around protology, teleology, and eschatology. So what they're going to say is Christianity doesn't make sense of evolution. Evolution is true, is what they'll say. Everyone believes in evolution now, except for you Christians. Evolution's true, and Christianity doesn't explain evolution because this wonderful good God wouldn't be so wasteful. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have have mucked about so poorly with with this if 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 god was actually intending to design if design was true uh it would have been a lot more efficient and better so i don't think your christianity dr hunter can account for uh evolution okay so now there's there's a couple of things to say here first of all if what first of all what i thought you were going to say and what you will hear is someone try to go talking about evolution. And, and, and you said something more than that that I'm going to come back to and address. But if someone just starts talking about, well, evolution, we know evolution happened, therefore uh, my worldview makes Everyone sense. Everyone knows evolution okay. is true. If, that, if, that, if they go that way, then what you, can, what you can do, you may not want to do this, depending on how, how, you know, where your interests are, but this is what you should do, is you should say... Well, answers you know, the, in Genesis the discussion, has all the answers. Well, you could say that. You could say <laughs> yeah. that. But but you could say, you know, that's a very interesting discussion about evolution. But, you know, there are a lot of Christians that actually do believe in evolution. And so um, what I'm more interested in talking to you about is, is uh, you know, uh, the good reasons to believe that the Christian God, my, my worldview, which is that there's a Christian God <laughs> who exists, doesn't make sense of. There are a lot of Christians who think, that the Christian God makes sense of evolution. So evolution wouldn't count in favor of your yeah. worldview, in favor of my worldview. It would just be a thing. But evolution is so many billions of years later. Let's get... Let's talk, you want to talk about evolution? Let's talk about cosmic evolution. Let's go back to the very beginning. Forget about how human life... Is this about. you responding yeah, to Yeah, I would say it's like... Evolution is too soon. It's too. Re- Let's go back a little bit further because there wouldn't even be evolution if there wasn't a cosmos from which life could evolve mm-hmm. on a planet that uh, eventually evolved from a cosmos that came into being from what what looks like to most scientists that aren't pretending to live in you know uh, the Sliders movie. Uh, it, it it came from nothing. So let's talk about that. Let's okay. not talk about how we got here. Let's talk about how everything got here. Well, but now you've asked him to give you a piece of data. Yeah. Now you now that's good. You because what you want to do is get to a point where you can just have a conversation. Yeah, and I say, and you know what I say? I say evolution is one of many possible ways of human life uh, coming to be that Christians believe. So, but now, but the point is, I, I liked what you said originally. Now you said something better as role playing as an atheist here. Mm. You didn't just say evolution is true and my worldview accounts for that and yours doesn't. If that was all you said, I could say, well, no, there are a lot of Christians who believe in evolution, regardless of whether I oh, do or not. Oh, but that God was so. But sloppy. then you said, yeah. you said uh, the universe is sl- the des- if it's design, it's sloppy design. Right. The the evolution, God wouldn't have done it that way. Right. Okay. So now that's saying more, and so I would right. need, I would, he's right, I would have to respond to that. What, how does my worldview make sense of that? And uh, at that point, I, I could point out that, okay, first of all, if you're saying something is poorly designed, 
Say that again really slowly. <laughs> it's poorly designed, right? <laughs> right. Like when I was in uh, my first debate in Miami, there's a bunch of Cubans there. People had come over from Cuba, and they had a car in Cuba that they told me about called the Fatingo. And the reason it was called that was it was the first automatic transmission automobile in Cuba. Ford Motor Company put it there, and they called it the Foot uh, high, uh, foot dash in the letter N dash go because the point to emphasize you just put your foot down and go you didn't have to change gears and so it's called a Fatingo they started calling it a Fatingo right everybody knew this was like the worst designed automobile Ford ever made and the worst designed automobile in Cuba but nobody questioned that this automobile is designed right yeah. so you can talk about whether the design is good or not but you're talking about design Beyond that, Christians actually have a really good explanation of why the universe has this appearance of design, but could in certain cases seem, seem like it's not as good as it could be. First of all, I don't know what a perfectly designed cosmos even means. What does that even mean? Because no matter what you make it, you could make it perfect-er <laughs> in a subjective sense by saying... I could have had more flowers or something, you know? Yeah, you could always <laughs> add one more or whatever right. to make it. So, so there's that. But, but second, Christians... You'd have, to have all, you'd have to be God, omniscient, to know what perfection is, which right. means you would just du duplicate God, and there can't be two identical Yahweh. You know, right. There can't be two gods. So you can never have anything perfect. Right. And, and God never... Maximal is what we want. Right. Now, was this world maximal at one point? Well, this is great, because on Christian theology, it certainly was... It was ma even old Earth people can hold this. It was it was maximal at some point, but there was a fall, and because of that fall, the but world is not perfect. what it once it was. was. Maximal. It was maximal, right? So, can Christians explain that piece of data that he throws out? Yes, they perfectly well. First of all, we're not sure that is a piece of data, right? And we want to point that out. Right. But if you want to, but even if it is, we can account for that data. But what his argument is is not that you know there seems to be a design, but that if it was designed, it's bad. It wouldn't be like okay, now we could say something else about that. We could say, all right, now what you're doing is you're doing what we could call divine psychology, and what I mean by that is you're psychoanalyzing the God that you don't believe exists and asking and and saying this God that I don't believe exists. If he did exist, I know what he would do because I know all about him and he would do it this way. <laughs> that, that doesn't follow at all. Right. right. Um, so, so, so that would, so the point is you can have that kind of conversation about the piece of data. So that piece of data doesn't count in favor of naturalism. All right, so another thing that might... Can you think of anything else that might Well, be? you'd also say what William Lane Craig said to uh, Frank Zwindler or whatever in that debate that happened in the 90s that's at Willow Creek. I think that was the opponent, where he said, oh, by the way, this is so improbable that life could evolve that it would require an absolute miracle of God to make evolution even go. Yeah, you so, could argue that if evolution is true, it's evidence for God. Right. Uh, I just recently heard David Wood say something really good about that. I, I'm going to get it wrong, so don't don't quote these numbers. But oh, by the way, neither one of us. Something like we're not theistic evolutionists, so I don't right? Know. So, so he's but we will say, for the sake of argument, things that that say no, that right? Doesn't, that doesn't give you anything, so. right? So, I think there's ten to the eightieth power atoms in the physical universe, and the interactions necessary to get uh, life to the level that it is right now is something like. 10 to the 120th power, which means you couldn't have that number in the amount of time that evolution has been going on evolution. And so if it got there, 
the way it got there would have to be designed. Right. Right. So, but anyway, uh, so yeah, you could, you, these are all things you could say. Yeah. Can you think of anything else? Now, remember, a piece of data that we agree and they agree is true about the way the world is that makes sense on naturalism, they think, that does not make sense on, on Christianity. Because what, 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 because you're not capitulating that evolution is true. You're just capitulating that even if it were, it's not a point in your favor. Right, yeah. We're not... Actually, yeah. that's a good point. I'm not sure I would grant him that data point because I've asked him yeah. for something we both agree is true about the way the world right. is. And he didn't necessarily, if I'm not an evolutionist, give me something that we both agree is true. Right. But because so many people do just take it for granted, I thought, okay, let's go there. And I went with it. Plus, I liked that you were role-playing with me. You don't do that very often. So when you... Thank God. <laughs> so when you did, I I decided to roll with it and, uh, and defeat your silly... Argument. So, all right. What, what's another thing? I mean, that you're posing for the atheists. Well, so they what? would. They would. Well, here's the tricky one. They would both agree, and this is actually so so super easy for the theists. But, well, it, it, they used to not agree with this. But there is an objective morality. They figured out that they look ridiculous when they affirm relativism. So now they affirm objective morality. A lot of atheists, they're heroes. If they're an internet atheist, or they're watching these. Internet atheists and these internet atheists are saying, yeah, morality is objective now. Because they, 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 they realized how horrible they looked by copping up to relativism. That's really what I think. So are you saying they might present to me so yeah, as we a both piece agree of data? That, yeah, we both agree that morality is objective. You know, it's funny you say Killing this. people is bad. And, and, and used to be atheists were more relativists, most often. Mm-hmm. But because they would get destroyed and made to look ridiculous, they couldn't sell that. I generally, this is what I literally believe why they changed tactics. Okay. So now they all argue for objective morality. Have you okay. noticed this? Yeah. Uh, well, right. I've, not A all form of them do, of it. but some of them do. Uh, yeah. More and more, more do now. The ones that engage with Christians because they're tired of walking around saying rape is okay because that's what they look <laughs> like when they leave, right? right? Everyone in there, including the atheists, are thinking, that guy thinks it's okay to rape babies. And so... Hey, they, we got a new subscriber. Yeah. So, James Henry. So because the atheists who debate Christians are tired of looking like they celebrate the rape of children, they have changed their tactic, and they all agree with objective morality, just not God is not necessary okay. for that. Humans okay. are necessary for that. Okay, but... So we agree that uh, it's fun. It's funny great. that you actually bring that because there's an episode of Don Johnson's old radio show. You got to find it deep in his archives, yeah. where an atheist actually says what you just said. He says, "Well, objective morality, Christianity can't make sense of that. <laughs> Naturalistic atheism can't." What? <laughs> like, even if I were somehow to grant you that you could have objective morality with without God, which I don't believe, how in the world are you telling me Christianity can't account for right. that? So so no that, that yeah right they bring that up okay so, so the yeah. atheist says or the skeptic says uh-huh. we both agree that it is absolutely wrong to murder a human being okay uh to murder yeah it's yeah. wrong to commit murder it's wrong to kill yeah. innocent life I agree. I agree I agree with you Christian that's one area we agree on so okay. why why does Christianity make better sense of of it's bad to kill. We don't well, because, need the, we don't need the Ten Commandments to know that it's bad to kill. No, no, no. You don't need the Ten Commandments necessarily to know that it's wrong to kill. But this is to confuse uh, your framework of knowledge as it relates to morality, which we could call moral epistemology, with the actual foundation the as the ontology of morality. We're not saying, and by the way, this is something that they get wrong all the time. We're not saying that you don't have 
We're not saying that you're not aware or that you can't be good people. Any, now, there are Christians who say that, and they shouldn't say that. Uh, you, can, you can be good people, care about your kids as much as I care about my kids, help little old ladies across the street and little old men so we're not sexist. I mean, you can do all those kind of things to help people and, and be a good person. We're, we're not saying you're not aware. In fact, we think the fact that you are aware is evidence that now, our I God believe exists. it's bad to kill people. I think it's bad to murder people. You think it's objectively wrong to murder people. You yeah. think because God said so means that it's bad. What I can say, no, it's just a brute fact about reality in the framework of human existence that if you look around, it brings misery. So I don't need God to It is a that brute objective. fact. I agree with you that it is a brute fact that when you do things that Christians call evil... It's bad for it causes suffering. It's what everyone suffering. causes. E- it causes call, suffering. Calls evil. Okay, fine. So do Christians, and, and it causes suffering. I, I agree. I'm saying that you don't have any foundation to say that that is actually a good or a bad thing. You don't have a. You don't have a. You don't have a foundation. You can say it's bad or it's good because um, I don't like it or people don't like it, or people don't like to suffer and die, but you have no justification for saying that that is a, a, an objectively good or bad thing. Sure I do. It's a brute fact about the, the fabric of reality. Well, that's just an assertion. It has no explanatory power. Neither does God. Well, sure it does. Because well, if you hear have, it. Okay, for, I'll give you a couple of reasons. Let now, them what, hear it. Now, by the way, audience... What he's posing now is what you would call non-natural moral realism. Now, this is someone who wants to say... This is someone who wants to type essays on our YouTube comment channel. (laughs) This is someone who... That you should never read. This is someone who wants to say objective morality is real, just like the Christian thinks it is, but it doesn't find its foundation in God. It just is. And that's all there is to it. And they would say, to be fair to them, they would say... To posit God and then say God is a necessary being who requires no explanation is just to kick it back down the street further than it has to. Morality just is, and it is necessarily. Uh, There's a couple of problems with this. First of all, um, God, so defined, is a being uh, whose, whose nature could serve as a foundation. Just to say morality just floats around, and it just is, doesn't explain anything. Second, it's got an interesting telos to it. It seems to be, number one, only really specific to human beings, which is interesting. You know, when a lion chases down a gazelle and rips it to shreds, we don't say it murdered the gazelle. We say it killed the gazelle. When animals engage in forced copulation, we don't say they raped. We say they engaged in forced copulation, which is actually good for the survival of their species. So the moral terms, murder and rape, are specific to humans because... It seems like there's some design in it. It seems to be for human beings. It seems to be something that's for us and not for other animals. And if you say, well, but that's how we survive and all that sort of thing, well, tell that to the lion who's killing the gazelle. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting that these things would come to us. Yeah. So there seems to be a design to it. So I don't think that the non-natural moral realism of just saying we just believe it by magic um, answers the question. Or that we found it by magic. Yeah. You, you know... It's not something you can. Morality is not one among the things that you can touch, taste, smell. Right. Uh, so they'll mention they'll hear, mention so. these sorts of things. Uh, that's a rare one to get, but I have heard it come up. They'll often say science. Science. I'm not works. giving you the low hanging fruit. This yeah. is we expect more from you, Doctor well, Hunter, to answer well, the tough ones. Well, have I answered? Have I risen to the occasion? Yeah, but I mean, it's also easy to say. Just say. Uh, 
It's just, yeah, you answered it because everything is answerable. Because stuff like that, even what the sounds good, it just is. And surely you agree with me, it just is. Right. How is it just is? Um, I don't have to know. I don't, who knows? Who cares? <laughs> it just, it's just, it's somewhere in the quarks. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with all this. You just said something. I don't even think you know how brilliant what you just said was. I always know. The thing is, anything they bring that is truly a fact about the way the world is, that we agree with them, that it, that is a fact about the nature of reality, that they want to say makes sense on naturalistic atheism that does not make sense on Christianity, or on Islam that doesn't make sense on Christianity, or Hinduism that doesn't make sense on Christianity. If it really is a fact about the world, it will make sense on Christianity. Christianity does have an explanation for it because Christianity's true. And it may or may <laughs> not make let's be fair, it may or may not make sense on naturalism, but it will always make sense on Christianity. And oh, by the way, when you move on from that one issue or the two thing two examples and you start piling up these issues, the 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 disparity between yeah. who can account for the preponderance of evidence goes up in the favor of Christianity. Because you have to do your homework, but if you study these things, at some point they're just living in denial. They're just nope for the sake of nope. Maybe. Well, and here's the thing. Yeah. Most people you're going to talk to are not going to be like internet atheists. This yeah. is your friend. This is the guy you work with. This is the girl you go to school with. This is whatever. And they aren't versed in Matt Dillahunty uh, internet atheism, okay? They're, they're, just, they're just people. They're normal people. And... They're not going to have much to say, really, most of the time when you ask them for facts about the way the world is that make sense on naturalistic atheism, that don't make sense on Christianity, because they haven't, but even the ones that have thought about these things aren't used to thinking in those terms. They're used to thinking about big arguments one way or the other. And you're asking them to do something a little more realistic than that. Okay, but you're also so, asking them to do a little bit personal, too, because you're saying, what do you think are the answers to yeah, sure. these questions? And so yeah. as it... it it's unless they are reading um, goofy atheist websites and memes and stuff, uh, and give these. Chances are they have thought about these things, and they're. If you're training yourself in apologetics, you're probably doing more work than they are reading atheist memes or not. And so, don't come off smug, and like me. Like where you're going to start, you know, don't come off too smug when they stop being able to give answers. Yeah. But what you will find is that they will stop being able to give explanations that actually account for what they think their worldview can account for. Yeah. And charity, you know, in fact, sometimes you want to say, well, what people like you normally believe is, you know, you can even help them out a little bit. Yeah. But here's why I don't agree with even that. Yeah. And you tell them their side, that you would normally, person like you would think this X, Y, and Z, but here's why I reject X, Y, and Z, and why I'm still over here, and see, that this, your worldview just can't come up to it, so why don't you, you know, yeah. believe the gospel? Yeah. Where you're older than Whenever you somebody starts not being able to answer, you don't, you don't declare victory. That's when you start getting even more friendly. And yeah, I mean... I mean, you kind of see, I mean, this is why I, I think this makes sense. I mean, I think you're kind of seeing it now too. You know, you want to yeah. be a friend to them um, and, and you're on their team and they, you want them to know that you're on a team. You know, I once heard this guy who is a professional Monopoly player. That's a thing. Say, when I play Monopoly, I do, you're not my wife anymore. You're not my kids anymore. You're not my neighbor anymore. I am out for blood. <laughs> but he's like, <laughs> and he's like, that's the only way to win Monopoly. But he said, in reality, one thing I've learned is, if you want to win, 
You need to be the kind of person that other people don't mind losing to. Yeah. And I think that is so helpful in apologetic discussions because whether or not you're thinking of it as a competition or a debate, they might be. And if they are thinking that way, you at least want to be the kind of person they don't mind losing to. Because right. you, you, you want to be that friend that, that, that they even maybe kind of want to learn to talk about these things like you're talking about them. So anyway, another thing they might bring up is the problem of evil. We have whole shows on the problem of evil, so we're not going to go into that. But the, they only bring up two or three things, usually. And you answer those, you talk to them. It may be a long conversation like we've just had here, uh, role-playing it. But then what you want to do is move to that final stage. You say, look, we've talked about your stuff for a while. And I found it very interesting, and I hope that my responses have been helpful or at least reasonable to you. Or at least that you're as interested in what I have to say as I am with what you have to hey, say. Hey, that's a good thing to say. Yeah. It's pretty good. So then the, ne- the, the next phase, phase four, is where you say... There's now, a line to sell while you're faking it. If it's okay. <laughs> I'm not faking it. <laughs> I am interested. Then the fourth phase is, you can, is it all right with you if I share with you some things that I think that my Christian worldview accounts for, that your naturalistic, atheistic worldview, I don't think really accounts for that well. Can I share those things with you? If they say no, that's okay. Don't force it, okay? But they usually, now that you've let them talk basically for three phases, then now now they're invested enough, they kind of have to let you talk. And they might be interested. So you share with them your reasons. We say, what are the reasons? I don't know, you think about it. But we've listed a whole bunch of them here. Why, why is it that there is morality in the world? Uh, why, why is it that we know that certain things are right or wrong? Uh, what about beauty? Why is it? This is one you don't hear in apologetics very why often. Why is Pritchett Prime so objectively beautiful to everybody? Why is it that bald men are objectively more beautiful than men with hair? Why is that? Now, those are sub. Those are actually more. You know, some people would say very subjective, but uh, or objectively unattractive. But the thing is, it yeah. Does... But you could say, why are roses universally recognized as beautiful, and why is a puddle of vomit typically viewed yeah. as gross? Uh, or why? Now, they will actually have answers to these things to say, well, things like a flower or a waterfall are beautiful because. It, during our process of evolution, we recognized in early primate development that being a waterfall represents a water source, which means survival, and a flower represents uh, food, fruit probably nearby, which you know, is life and stuff. You know, they'll have things they can say, but you're doing worldview comparison. What makes more sense of this? Yeah. Um, and uh, another thing would be free will. Uh, did you know that on your naturalistic atheism, free will is impossible? Um, and, uh, but, but on our worldview, it is possible. And so you talk about that for a little bit. Um, why is it that there, that you have the rapid expansion of the early church? That, that seems to make more sense if Jesus rose from the dead. Um, what about these near death experiences? I mean, you know, we talked about that two or three episodes ago, uh, on the show, but that's a, that's a good point because that's something you both agree that you're not, they, he may not agree with you or she, that people are actually having these experiences or that these experiences are supernatural, but, but he can't deny that, that these reporting. are reported yeah. in medical journals, blah, blah, blah. So you can talk about that. There's all kinds of things. You could talk about the stuff that a classical apologist might talk about. God's the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. God's the best explanation for the design of the universe. God's the best explanation for um, the morality that we experience. All these kinds of things. And, and really what's going to happen is you know, one thing you can do is if you just lay all that stuff out all at once, I want to talk about these things, and you lay out like 10 things. <laughs> they say, now let's go through them one by one. Uh, they're they're going to be impressed by the force of the amount of data. And what they don't know is that as many physical objects or concepts are in the physical universe could be added to that list because everything in a cumulative case, everything 
imaginable could be used as a data point to show that Christianity is true, or at least that God exists. So that's how you do it. And then and then you just have that conversation. Now, let me back off as an evangelistic apologist and front this with something else. When you're explaining to them, or when you're letting them explain to you the Christianity back in phase two, one of the things that you want to emphasize if they don't is you want to emphasize to them the gospel message and what it means to be a Christian and how that happens. Phase two is them asking you, you asking them what they think Christianity is. Yes. Yeah. That was so, an hour ago. So, you yeah. to... so the, the, reason, <laughs> the reason is because now at the end, when you finally get to a point where you guys have talked about all this for a while, this would be a good point. You got you to gotta read the room, but this would be a good point to say, you know what? I think you're seeing that, that there's really good reason to believe this is true. And I want to talk to you back about that Christian message that you explained to me a while ago. And I want to, I want to nuance it a little bit, and I want to start talking about that. You know, just you know, be, be a person. I'm not giving you the words to say, but start moving it toward a, a gospel presentation. Because that's, and so that's how you can use cumulative case apologetics. And by the way, I really want you to get this. Maybe you're new to apologetics and you've shown up at apologetics315.com and seen this, or maybe you are a student at Trinity and you're just now getting into an apologetics. And some of what we've said sounds like what you don't even know what we were talking about. A couple of things. Number one, it, most people that you talk about in normal life, talk to in normal life, will not bring up things as complex as what we've discussed here. They're real people. They do other things for a living, and they don't know how to talk about these kind of things. So you, it'll be much more down to earth when you have this conversation than me reacting to uh, Jonathan Pritchett's alter atheist ego. All right. Um, and then second, if they do bring up something you don't know the answer to, you know what you do there? You've got a bulletproof vest that gets you out of this. You just say, you know what? That's a really good question. I don't know. You say, well, I can't admit that I don't know because then they'll think, I don't know. And you say... Yeah, because I don't know, and that's a really good question, and that means I have an opportunity to go learn something, and, and that'll impress And we can explore it together when I get yeah. done. You know, I can go be an answer finder. Yeah, be an answer we finder. Even, thing about Even if that. you can't be an answer giver, you can be an answer finder. Yes, and it gives you an opportunity to have... Look, you don't... And here's another thing that I would say. Don't rush this. The goal is not to have them praying the sinner's prayer within an hour. It'd be great. It would be great. But that shouldn't be the goal. And it, it has happened. Yes, but that your goal is not to time limit it because you're investing in people. Yeah. So I offer this as a single encounter apologetic strategy because you can do all this in one and encounter. Refresh but the if phrases, it takes longer, you can take longer. Yeah, and re- refresh the phases before we go. So that. Oh, yeah. So phase number one is you want to ask them uh, how they understand the big questions of life. Uh, how do we get here? What's the purpose of life and what happens when we die? And then phase number two, you ask them to explain Christianity to you. And if there are misunderstandings, you correct those misunderstandings. That allows us to not talk past each other. And then uh, phase number three, you want to ask them to share with you facts about the world, pieces of data about the world that we both agree on, that their worldview makes sense of, that your Christian worldview does not make sense of. And then you do engage. You talk about those things and you respond from a Christian perspective. And then when that fizzles out, you move on to phase four, which is you ask if you can share with them things that Christian, your Christian worldview 
uh, accounts for that their worldview doesn't account for. And those will be a little bit specific based on the worldview, but uh, that's okay. And then uh, when that gets to a lull, then you off you kind of share the gospel. And if that happens the first day, that's great. If that happens two weeks in, that's great. But that is a way that you can do this that I think is really helpful and allows them to talk a lot and makes them cared for as a person. And they're invested in you. Anyone who will listen to another person, they will invest in you whether they agree with your worldview or not because so few people actually listen to others anymore. Um, that's why I'm they, so good at it. I listen to you so well. Uh, you do, even when you're not interested. <laughs> so, you know, and here he has, I will jump in front of a truck for this man who doesn't care what I say, but I do care. very well no, I don't what I say. No, so, I do care. Yeah. Uh, but no, seriously, though, uh, this is a very personal investment kind of approach, and I think that it works. I think that um, it's probably the best form of evangelistic apologetics there is in personal evangelism or group, even group evangelism. Um, I don't know that it would work well in other venues, but as far as evangelism goes, street evangelism, and maybe even in sermons, I think sermons, uh, preachers could incorporate more of this grabbing data points oh, yeah, yeah. from the text. Yeah, this is really and, good for and, that. And, yeah. and weave that in as well. Archaeological discoveries yeah. when you're talking about something. Yeah, yeah. We, weave in data points in sermons, it works really well. Um, so, but that's what most people aren't preachers. Most people aren't evangelists. But, but they, they can be. If you'd right. like to study to be a preacher, an evangelist, an apologist, a counselor, or you're just an interested person who is not interested in professional ministry, visit our website at trinitysem.edu, trinitysem.edu, and for a, you will never find a more cost-effective and flexible school. You do not have to come to the campus. You can do it 100% online. You don't even have to come for graduation, although we'd love to see you. And uh, you can you can get, and because we don't operate on semesters, did you know, I don't think we highlight this enough, you can start today. You can call us today and you can start uh, studying uh, to be whatever God has called you to be in a more educated way. And um, you can have people like Dr. Pritchett as a professor and Dr. Layton Flowers, and Dr. Steve Gregg, and so you want to do that. Now, if you, um, if you would like, if you like this podcast, and you'd like to hear more from us, first of all, one thing you can do, in addition to listening by audio, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Uh, that really helps us. Even if you don't watch regularly on the video, it really helps us. Also, click up here somewhere. This is where our Patreon. If, you could, if you'd like to consider prayerfully supporting our program, um, it will not heal your illnesses supernaturally. We will not send you prayer cloths, and we may spend that money on selfish personal things like lunch. Uh, so knowing all that, if you still want to give, we, we really appreciate uh, appreciate that. Um, and if you'd like to listen to the other episodes that are a part of our podcast consortium, the Trinity Commission, you can visit uh, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, Steve Gregg's The Narrow Path, and uh, Billy and Matt at the Bible Brodown. So Billy check those Winland out. Billy Winland and Matt Chisholm, we hardly ever say their last names, Billy and Matt. But it's Billy Winland and Matt Chisholm, and, and, and if you search for them, you can find uh, all of the Trinity Commission. We all have uh, Facebook groups. Bible Brodown has a group uh, or a page. We yeah. have a group and a page. Yeah. Narrow Path, Steve Gray. If you go to Facebook yeah. and look up uh, Trinity Prime, Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion. Ours. That's the best one. That's ours. Um, and so do that. 
Uh, hey, one thing that really helps us, I didn't realize this till recently, but if you rate and actually type a review on the iTunes page for as the long podcast. As it's a good one. It, yeah, yeah, don't just ignore that I'm saying this if you don't like the show. But if you listen this long, you probably enjoy it. So, or fake it. Like that really, what, what, here's, here's what that does. That gets us into another category. When we have enough of those, it gets us into another category in iTunes where they promote us more, and then it gets the word out better. So you, it, these are things that don't cost you anything, except for the Patreon. That does. But everything else doesn't cost you anything. Okay, so uh, do that for us, and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.